Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show which talks to Christian leaders about the topics that really matter. I'm Andy Peck. This week I'm joined by Ron White. Ron spent his career in the civil service, joining age 16 and rising through the ranks of what is now the Department for International Development. He was involved on programmes as a non-resident that span the globe, including India, West Africa, northern Iraq, the West Bank and Gaza Strip, Iran, Paraguay, Uruguay, Gibraltar and the Falkland Islands, as well as many other countries visited in his official capacity in Europe and the Middle East. He also served for many years as an elder at King's Road Evangelical Church, Berkhamsted, Hertfordshire, where he and his wife Anne still worship. So welcome, Ron, to the Leadership Farm. Well, lovely to have this opportunity of joining you, Andy. Um, I mentioned you joined straight from school, so um, was it kind of... The, the only option? Was it the best option? How did you see things back, thinking about that time? Well, I had uh, no choice um, to, but to leave school at the age of 16 because of family circumstances. Um, and I went to a secondary modern school, so the horizons were certainly very, very foreshortened. Yeah, yeah. It was just assumed that you wouldn't go anywhere, really. <laughs> right. So, um, so I just... One of the options that attracted to me, me was the either the civil service or the local government, um, and the I, I tried the civil service. I thought I'd join the civil service while while I made up my mind what to do with my life. And uh, perhaps you could describe the kind of roles that you 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 ex- exercised when you were within the civil service. Well, I started off at the uh, very bottom indeed as a a, a registry clerk, just filing papers. I remember one very dispiriting moment when uh, an elderly gentleman sitting opposite me leaned across and said, you realise you'll be reading these files for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) But actually it was more of that. Then I had an opportunity, again, as a clerical officer, going into an accounts department, which wasn't uh, that exciting, but had its little challenges, and I could find things that would, were more stimulating than, than the routine, like uh, working and finding out how the latest calcular, the calculator worked. Of course, it's <laughs> electromechanical device in those days. But uh, then um, I just moved on. I got a promotion and eventually got to what's called geographical desks in what is now the Department for International Development. And you were a Christian all this time, or had you become come to faith at some point? Oh, I became a, um, a Christian while I was still at school. Um, I was challenged really by what, what, what the thing that was exercising me was that I could see no purpose in life. It was rather sad for a <laughs> teenager. Um, and what's more, I couldn't see whether it mattered whether you did good or bad, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, except if you did good, people might like you more. But that was all it. And then uh, one day I was taken to see a Billy Graham film, Mr. Texas, mm-hmm. and that described a man who had reached the peak of his career and won everything he did, achieved everything he aimed to do, but found his life was then empty and meaningless. And then 
Billy Graham preached the gospel and it was as if there were two voices speaking to me. There was, I could hear Billy Graham and another voice inwardly mm. saying that my real need was to know Jesus Christ as mm. my personal saviour. Well, I didn't have the courage to uh, um, uh, uh, respond to the gospel then, but some little time later when I heard exactly the same message and was challenged by the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return, mm. uh, was I ready? Well, I knew I wasn't, so mm. I got ready. Right. And I just uh, said to God I was sorry for the wrong things I'd done in my life and I asked Jesus to be my saviour. Mm. I mean, the thing that amazed me was not... Um, uh, was that God could love me hmm. and could forgive me. I mean, <laughs> I had no doubt about my need. Sure, oh, wonderful. <laughs> it's just that God I couldn't hmm. believe Well, I was astonished that God was prepared to do it. It really was good news for me. Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so, obviously, the kind of leadership you exercise in a, in the civil service is is within particular parameters and i know you were slightly reluctant coming on the show on on leadership because you say well you were a manager mm. but you are you know obviously you rose to the through the ranks within the department for intervention international development and um, you know you you had a leadership role albeit obviously serving the government that was in in power at the time mm. so yeah. i suppose my Leadership, there were two characteristics, two types of leadership, really, if you can call it leadership. Mm. One was I headed a small team, mm. I had a staff of about four or five, um, and there I tried to encourage good relations, obviously, between uh, the staff. That wasn't a problem, um, as it turned out. Uh, but, but also, I tried to, I while there was sort of requirements or grade, you know, what were required as types of work for different grades, I didn't stick rigidly to that. I tried to identify people's strengths and get them to play to their strengths. For example, there was one chap who was absolutely brilliant at forecasting expenditure. Mm. He could get, every year, he would get it right to within 1% or 2% when there were so many variables and unknowns. It was an incredible achievement. But there were other things he couldn't do for toffee. No. So I got him. And then there was another chap, although he was the most junior member of the team, uh, because he was good at it and gifted at it, I gave him responsibility for managing our internal website mm. and also made sure he got the time for it because very often these mm. jobs they can get marginalised and sure, sure. So, I, so we all agreed as a team that he would say I think it was Wednesday afternoons he would spend um, on the website updating it improving it improving things like hyperlinks and all mm. sorts of stuff that I didn't understand then mm. I don't understand now but he was brilliant at it yeah, yeah. and we had well I'm it was a highly regarded website in, mm. in the department because you could go there and get up-to-date information, which also saved the rest of the team a lot of work because otherwise we yeah. would have had to, uh, Indeed. No, to sure. ferret it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as you look, you look back on your time, uh, how do you feel about it? Um, well, as I look back, I, I, there are a lot of things I think now I wish I had done better, that I'd understood more fully the implications of what we were doing at a, in terms of the bigger picture. It's very easy, particularly on, on when it came to managing um, uh, macroeconomic change in governments that were showing reform. Um, I mean, we did. I think we did well, but I think I could have done better. 
And on the other hand, also other things gave me a lot of um, satisfaction. I can remember flying back from Tehran in Iran uh, to London, and as we flew near the Zagros, Zagros Mountains, which are between Iran and Iraq, I noticed there was, this was in February 99, I noticed there was no snow on the mountains. Mm-hmm. And that to me was alarming because they'd had a fairly dry couple of years. If there was no st- snow, there would be no meltwaters. If there were no meltwaters, m- m- uh, especially as it had been recently quite dry, then that would mean uh, there'd be no no water for cattle, for livelihoods, for mm. agriculture. It was it was it would have been a drought. Uh, well, it was a drought as it turned out, mm. and so I was able to arrange for uh, an expert from one of our universities who who knew about conserving water uh, and making the best of scarce mm. water resources. He went out. He devised a program. Of, that um, and which we were then able to implement, and that saved a lot of distress. There would have been people movements, cattle mm. movements. There would have been conflict. That's if history is anything to go by. Sure. And this was during the time of Saddam Hussein uh, in Iraq, and this was in, in Iraq, uh, back um, uh, the Kurdish area of Iraq. Um, so we were lo- living under, working under quite considerable constraints, but that I think prevented a lot of tensions and the Kurds and other NGOs were actually very appreciative afterwards because it meant we took a tough line on some things. We refused to do any deep well drilling. Uh, we could go down to 90 feet but we wouldn't go deep because we didn't know and nobody else knew the geology sufficiently well. Mm. And if you just put down boreholes willy-nilly, you can do a lot of damage. So sure, sure. we, uh, so that was, uh, that was very satisfying. Yeah. And there were other things. Um, I felt capacity building within governments and civil services were, was extremely important because mm. it meant you could improve the level of governance, which in turn would improve conditions for, for people. And hopefully it would remain permanent. Mm. Uh, um, I, I mentioned a few places that you'd visited um, mm. or that you were responsible for, including northern Iraq uh, and the Falkland Islands and, of course, um, you know the Gaza Strip, West Bank. Um, uh, just remind me of the, your pe- the period. Were you, you were overseeing northern Iraq during Saddam's time, not that's right, not yeah. post Gulf War. No, pre Gulf War. Pre Gulf War. I, I was working on the program between 1994 and 2001, mm. and I, at the same time, with as well as providing support for the uh, Middle East peace process, which mm. was then the Oslo process, right. and that was again trying to. Strengthen the, uh, give uh, build capacity within the Palestinian administration, mm. yeah. um, and uh, humanitarian projects in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, and of course similarly in in Iraqi Kurdistan. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I mean, I was obviously, you know, these are politically quite um, <laughs> quite challenging areas. Mm. Uh, you're, you're obviously you're serving the government of the time, so I'm, I'm not going to. And there's an official secrets act, so I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> going to quiz you too much on on all that, but um, when it when it comes to being a civil servant and leading, and you, you know, the, the, the stereotype is that you're just you're just following orders, and I just wonder how much latitude you had to kind of influence policy, um, you know, an approach when you were when you were serving. Um, I had quite a lot of latitude in practice. I mean, ministers did do set the overarching strategy, mm. and uh, at the time. Um, I'm not up to date with the present situ- situation, but the 
time, the strategy was to try and meet the needs of the poorest to lift the, lift them out of poverty. Well, as a Christian, I had absolutely mm. no problem with that at all. Um, but you had so uh, we tried to identify projects. Um, the, pro- the problems were often that the local government would have its political priorities to strengthen its position, which didn't necessarily match mm. um, the needs of the people. Um, sure. Just as a hypothetical example, uh, if we thought that one area needed, or it was obvious that one area would need a water and sanitation project, but it was an area that was out of, politically out of sympathy with the government, right, right. then that would be a bit of a struggle. But we usually found a way through mm. uh, and managed to persuade people that... Uh, uh, what what was really appropriate uh, for the situation. Excellent. And in the end, we had the purse strings. Sure, sure. Well, you're listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Ron White. Uh, Ron has had a, a career in the civil service, particularly within the Department for International Development. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Ron White. Ron has had a career serving... Uh, in the civil service as uh, part of the department for international development we were talking before the break of some of his some of the things that he was overseeing and his involvement uh, as a civil servant and the style of leadership that uh, that needed to be uh, adopted with that um ron when uh, serving in the civil service are, are there particular moral dilemmas you find um well i think every career uh, um in any field faces moral challenges um for example um, in the commercial sector, I'm sure people are t- challenged when there's uh, there's pressure to massage the accounts or things like over-invoicing or cheating on VAT or misrepresenting facts and situations. So anybody who wants to live um, a Christian life, a life of integrity, is going to find those challenges. Um, in the civil service, I, my... My perception was that people respected integrity, mm. and if it was a position of integrity, uh, that would be acknowledged and accepted. Um, in fact, you, it, was requ- it was required of you. Were, you. You would have been criticised if you'd been less than shown less than complete integrity. Right. So, in that sense, a Christian mm. is a good place to be. In, one, in that I sense, I think so. Mm. Yes, I mean, clearly, there, there are going to be challenges. But, uh, I mean, let's face it, some of the great Bible heroes were civil servants. Yeah. I mean, what was Joseph? Indeed. He yeah, was right. a civil servant. Yeah. Daniel, yes. chief secretary to the cabinet in a totally godless regime. Yes. Babylon, which is the epitome of godless society yeah, yeah. in the scriptures. So, yeah, I think it's uh, mm. um, a great position, a great thing to do. Uh, and were you ever asked to do things you thought, actually, this is a bit foolish, but I better, <laughs> it's it's my job? <laughs> um, I think I can remember, for example, one project that came forward for f- financing. I, It was a poultry project. I better not say where it was. Mm. But um, the impact of it would have been it would have destroyed the indigenous cottage poultry industry that was, and it would have been a big factory thing. Uh, and I can remember minuting that I regarded this as grotesque, but the political and commercial pressures were substantial. Mm. So I simply prayed that God would do something to change it. 
and to my total astonishment, a little while later the project was completely changed and it was changed round where the project was providing the villagers with, um, I think they were day-old chicks, better quality. So they were enhancing the protective, productive co- um, capacity of the local people, which I thought that was great. You know, And that's one of, to me, it was a great encouragement to yeah. see. I was in a hopeless position, hmm. but God answered prayer. That's wonderful. No, it's great to, <laughs> great to hear. Um, I mean, the workplace is, is seldom the place for overt evangelism, um, but... Uh, you know, were there opportunities for you uh, looking back? Um, yes, the. I've, I mean, the first priority as a Christian mm. is to live a consistent Christian mm. life. If you don't do that, and people notice, you don't swear, you, you don't blaspheme. Mm. And it was quite interesting the, the impact that this could sometimes mm. have because yeah. there was a time when uh, women, particularly as they were getting more recognition and felt they needed to be more assertive and prove that they could swear as the best <laughs> as, as well as any man. Of yeah. course, a new new uh, lady would arrive and she'd start swearing yeah. and suddenly realised nobody else did. <laughs> that, but there were other areas too. For example, I can remember being in a Islamic country at lunch and there were quite um, hardline Muslims at lunch with me and others, it was in a restaurant, and there was about a dozen of us, I suppose, uh, myself and one other colleague, I think, and about ten of them. And somebody asked a question, what, what's the Islamic view of, of righteousness? And then turned to me and said, Ron, what's the Christian view <laughs> of righteousness? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I prayed quickly, sure. and I said, well, the actual the, the, the New Testament, the Bible, the question it addresses is, how can a holy God righteously forgive sin? Hmm. And that's what the cross is about, how Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, died on the cross hmm. to provide forgiveness for all our sins. And this was in a strongly Islamic country, hmm. um, in a public place, in a restaurant. And it was just, God just gave me the words well, on the spot. Yeah. And now, now I've no idea what... You're here to what, tell the tale. Thank I'm you. here to tell the tale. <laughs> and I've no idea what impact sure, it had sure. on the thing. But it was interesting. Mm. One of the chaps I was with, one of the, uh, the Muslims, um, I'd been speaking with him about the historic culture and so on the day before. And I'd been commending it and saying, well, you were vastly civilised when we were running around in, in, in bearskins and, mm. and woke. Yes. And I think the fact that I'd appreciated mm. uh, their past, I think, made him a bit more open, sure. perhaps what I said over the lunch table. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> uh, and did you sense a, a change in atmosphere over the years? Uh, you know, the, the, the claim is that we're becoming a more post-Christian and and sometimes, you know, the anti-Christian agenda seems to be being pushed. You, 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 you can look back at a number of decades. Was, was that the case for you? Do you think? Or? Well, wasn't noticeably so, at least to my perception. But I retired in two thousand and one, hmm. and I think in the last ten years or so, it's bec- the, the secular hmm. and secularism has become far more aggressive mm-hmm. and there's far more of an anti as distinct from a tolerant 
you know, view of, well, that's their thing, that's the sort of thing they would say, isn't it, type approach. It's much more hostile, which I think in many ways we should see as an opportunity. I wouldn't go so far as to say welcome it, but we should see as an opportunity to present more clearly the gospel of Jesus. And and you you served as an elder at at the local church in in Berkhamsted, um, and and since since retiring, and you, you and Anne and uh, your wife have uh, been involved in in divorce uh, ministry. Can you talk, tell us a little bit about that as we close. Yes, that's um, wonderful. Neither of us are counsellors, and it's not required that we should almost helpful you're not. Mm. But we run something called Divorce Care, and this is a program which is on DVDs dealing with issues such as depression, um, anger, finances, children, and so on for people who who are divorced or separated or possibly even facing divorce. And the idea is that there's a small group who listen to the DVD and then discuss it afterwards. So it's extremely valuable, Mm. not only the content of the DVD, but opportunities for people who've gone through divorce Mm. To speak to people who've had similar experience. I mean, so often people who have been divorced find their immediate friends or family are often totally clueless. Oh, you should be over it by now, sort of Mm. attitude, when really it can take years and years to recover. Healing, especially if it's healing without any support, can be a very, very long process. Mm. And there's issues of forgiveness and, and so on as well to serious issues um, uh, if you don't forgive somebody somebody said that unforgive, unforgiveness is like drinking poison expecting the other person to be hurt indeed yeah. and um, and so it's great illustration. Vital, issues to, mm. vital issues to face up to yeah so we, we 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 feel very privileged to be involved in this wish it were wider spread and more churches Indeed. adopted it. So it's called Divorce Care. Divorce Care, one word, yeah. um, org. It's American-based. Sure. Splendid. Uh, and just finally, uh, the, some people may be anticipating work or wondering about if the civil service is a great career. You've, you've spent your, your working life there. You think it's a good place to be? Oh, I think it's an excellent place to mm. be. Um, I think public service is an honourable mm. and indeed noble profession, yeah. better still if it's done nobly. <laughs> and as I mentioned earlier, some of the great Bible heroes were civil servants. Yeah. Probably, apart from prophets and kings, probably the most heavily populated yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, uh, ministry in terms of of Bible heroes in the Old Testament anyway. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Ron, uh, very much for for sharing and coming in and talking about your life. A a little bit of your life anyway (laughs) in that Uh, field. Well, thank you very much, um, Andy. It's been entirely my pleasure. Good. Well, you've been listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined by Ron White. Ron has spent a career in the Department for International Development and uh, you can listen back if you happen to be coming across this program. Listen back on the uh, the on-demand section, go to Premier's website and uh, all the shows that I've uh, interviewed guests on uh, are there for you to listen to again. Uh, do uh, log on, to, as I say, to Premier's website. You can find the shows there. Uh, do um, join me again next Sunday at 3.30. Uh, if you have guests that you want to suggest, uh, potential 
then do email me apec at cwr.org.uk and you and I will uh, consider the your suggestions or maybe topics that you think on leadership that haven't been covered for a while or have puzzled you particularly. I'd be delighted to consider uh, maybe doing a program on there which is uh, just for you. Uh, many of the shows that we have uh, are uh, put together in part because of listener suggestions so it's uh, great to involve you in that uh, little task if, if that's at, at all of interest to you you've been listening to the leadership file on premier andy peck serves as a tutor at cwr a christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply god's word to everyday life contact him via email apec at cwr.org.uk Thank you.